we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, where Pastor kind of left off last week. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it ministers and speaks to our hearts. God, I pray that this morning you would allow what is said from your word to affect our hearts and our lives, our minds. God, I pray that today you would just be with us, that you would meet with us, that you would speak to us, and that you would clearly give us direction as we study your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Luke chapter 2. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. If you have your copy of God's Word, maybe you're joining us online. Uh, you might uh, have your tablet or your phone, whatever you'd like to use to find uh, this place in God's Word, Luke chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse 22. Um, I got to looking at uh, what pastor has preached over the last several weeks and um, have been kind of praying through what God would have me to say here this morning. And uh, Luke, 22, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22, starting there is kind of what God began to work in my heart and bring to my attention. And I wanted to bring that to your attention this morning to let you see what, uh, what God has shown me in Scripture as we read. Let's start in verse 22 there in Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer... A sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the Christ child, Jesus, to do for him after the customs of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer night and day. And she coming into the instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel or in Jerusalem. Listen, as we look at this passage of scripture, we see some really, really cool things that pop out regarding what took place with the birth of our Savior and the events that took place in the time frame that it happened. If you look here in Luke 2 verse 22, it says that when they came 
for the time of purification according to the, the law of Moses. Understand that the days of purification were about 40 days. So after Mary had Jesus, there was about a seven-day time period of purification that took place, but then there was about another 30 days beyond that at which they would present him to the temple and pay what would be sacrificed for him. When we look here and we see this idea in Luke 20, uh, verse 2, verse 22 and 23, we see here that the Bible says, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. So understand the firstborn male in every family, this goes all the way back to the book of Exodus when God laid down this law to his people, Exodus 13. He says the firstborn male, the one who opens the womb of, of a woman, the firstborn male would be presented to the Lord as holy. Now understand this was before we see God in, in ordained the Levites to be the ones who would work in the temple. However, even though at this time in Hebrew history, we see that in, in Exodus and Leviticus, we see this take place. It never stopped being the case that the firstborn would always be dedicated wholly unto the Lord. You see, this is significant to the story of Jesus Christ, the Christ child. See, what this did was in the process of, of worship and what we see here, he was presented as the firstborn wholly unto the Lord because this then would qualify him to be part of the temple worship as one who's been committed and dedicated and consecrated unto that work. And this is significant when it comes to the cross of Calvary. Because when Jesus Christ goes to the cross of Calvary, he is not only a prophet, he is not only a king, but he is also a priest. Well, he is a priest in what way? He's a priest because when he was born, he followed the law and was obedient to what it was. This is when the Bible tells us that he was a fulfillment of the law. He didn't come uh, to break the law. He came to fulfill it in that this is one of those portions of the law where he fulfilled it in such a way that it qualifies him to be the one to go to the cross of Calvary and to enter the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat for us eternally. And this is part of that process and that plan of Jesus being able to be that for us. So as we look here in verse 22 and 23, we see the purification of about 40 days takes place. Now, this qualifies him to serve as a priest or serve in the house of God. As we look in verse 24, the Bible says, and to offer sacrifices according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So we see here that there's a process that takes place when a child is born amongst Israel. The first thing, we're, we're going to see three ceremonies that take place fairly quickly when a young male is born. The first is that after eight days, he is circumcised. Now, I want you to understand that it's amazing how God knew the, the blood work of a male at eight days and the process of circumcision and how that was the most ideal point in time in that child's life to be able to undergo a circumcision, setting him apart. And, and by the way, it's a whole nother different sermon, but let's understand what the significance of circumcision is when it comes to Israel. Circumcision is a sign that they believe in the covenant that God has provided to Israel for the land and for the Messiah and for things to come, even in the millennial kingdom. So when we see circumcision brought out in the, in the word of God, we have to understand that, that it may be a physical act, but it is a spiritual implication. It's, it's kind of like the way we view baptism. Baptism 
is a spiritual act. It's a physical act, but it has a spiritual implication. Baptism does not save you, but baptism shows that you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've accepted him into your life, and you're showing by what's happening in that water that you're being buried in likeness of Jesus' death and being raised to walk in newness of life, not because you're being baptized, but because the Spirit of God baptized you. You were immersed in him when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, if you were a Jew and you were part of Israel, when males were born, this, this circumcision that took place was, was parents passing on to their children the covenant God made in the Old Testament about the land and about the Messiah and about the future kingdom that would take place. So as we look here in Scripture and we see verse 24 and we see the significance of that circumcision, the, one, the first of the three things that would take place after the birth of Christ He is presented eight days after his birth for the circumcision. But then 30 days after that, approximately 30 days after that, he would be presented in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this is significant because Mary and Joseph would have then taken about a six mile, maybe seven mile trek from where they were at to the temple in Jerusalem on this particular day. And they would present Jesus First of all, that was the, the first ceremony that they would, they would uh, uh, go through there where they would uh, present a lamb and a turtle dove or pigeon. Or if they were poor, they would present two tur- turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, understand in Scripture, when we see that two, two birds, two pigeons or turtle doves were presented, that gives us a picture of the, the financial standing of Joseph and Mary. They were poor. Poor people were allowed to to sacrifice two birds rather than a lamb and a bird. So we see here Jesus Christ is brought to the temple for this sacrifice to take place. The other ceremony that we see that gets reflected here is the ceremony of Mary being presented after the birth and after her days of purification so that she can re-engage in temple worship. See, the temple had, had some different Uh, sectors, we'll call it, in it. And the outer sector, uh, the court of women or the court of Gentiles was there. And then the the inner sector was where they had the place where they would actually have the sacrifices made. And then there was an inner, inner sector called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the candle, uh, the candle opera, the candle stand and and the, the manna, the showbread was at. All of that took place there. So as we look and see what happens here, Mary and Joseph are presented. Mary is presented in this court of women with Jesus and with Joseph, and she is then being declared pure from having this child, and she can re-engage in the temple activities again and be part of the worship after her purification. And that's what we see here in verse 24. This was all a ritual and what they went through, but it was all necessary for them to take part in these ceremonies in order for Jesus to have followed the law and to be able to be presented righteous. Now, here's the other significance to Jesus going through this process. The other significance is that if Jesus would not have been circumcised, and if Jesus would not have been presented to the temple on that 30 or so day, and he would not have, his parents would not have presented this sacrifice to, to consecrate him wholly unto the Lord, he would not have been admitted into synagogue as a child. The other part of this equation, and if you've 
uh, go back and you watch some of the sermons I've preached in the past, you'll see the course of action that took place in a child in the synagogue. They didn't just go to synagogue when they were five and six and seven years old. The synagogue had, had basically tears of learning that would take place. And Jesus needing to go through these tears would have had to have been circumcised and would have had to went through these rituals in order to be accepted by the priest to be able to be part of any of that. And all of that qualified him to be looked at as a rabbi by his own disciples and by his five, five, over 500 followers that we see that take place and all the people, the thousands of people that came to watch him perform miracles. Why did all that happen? Because Jesus obeyed what the word of God said and he followed it in righteousness. He didn't, listen, he was sinless. He didn't have to do it because he was unrighteous. He did it because he was the son of God fulfilling the law that was set before mankind. So as we look here and we see in verse 24, we, we see Jesus fulfilling this and the parents coming to the temple and taking care of this. Let's, uh, let's go to verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout and waited for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. A few things we need to know about Simeon. Simeon was a rabbi. Now, it's very interesting when you begin to study who Simeon is, because if you study out and you go do some research historically about who Simeon is, Simeon was the son of Heliel. You say, who was Heliel? Heliel was the president of the synagogue for about 40 years. So I, I'm, I'm building, just follow me along with who Simeon is, the significance of who this is. So after Heliel retired from being president of the synagogue, most likely, Simeon became president of the synagogue. Now you say, well, what's the historical significance of that? Well, first of all, it placed Simeon in a position where people respected him and have reverence for him because of the spiritual place that he held within the holy living and the Jewish religious worship process and, and the decision makers and the powerful and the, the people who were movers and shakers within the religious community in Jerusalem. Simeon was right in the middle of all that. He was, he was leading it in many ways, along with the high priest and those who worked in the temple. Here's another thing we see about Simeon. Many of you know, as we read the New Testament, we come across a character named Saul who on the Damascus road encounters Jesus Christ and he falls off of his horse and he prays and he gives his life to God. And then for a period of time, I believe it was about a, a, a period of time, he, he, is, he is discipled. Well, as you read the history of Paul, you will find out that Paul was trained in Jewish life and in Jerusalem by a man named Gamaliel. Do you, do you remember that class? You remember that name Gamaliel being kicked around? Gamaliel was Simeon's son. You see the connection here? There's a, there's a, there's a process here of, of heritage that's significant to the story we see here in Luke because Simeon was not just some Jewish man wandering the streets who showed up at the temple. Simeon was a man who led in the synagogue and knew the prophecies of the scripture, and he was looking he was actively looking for the Messiah to appear. And I love the way the Bible puts this in verse 25. Look at what it says. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel. He wasn't just waiting. He was looking. And look at what it says here. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Listen, one of the things as I studied this passage of Scripture that, that I thought through and prayed through and, and, and meditated on is Simeon was looking for Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead him to accomplish what God needed him to do. Folks, things have not changed in our church today. We need to be people that are looking for Jesus, following the Holy Spirit to do the work that he's called us to do. And we look here and we see in verse 26, we see in verse 25, he's in high regard. We see in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. Simeon was divinely informed about the coming of the Messiah, and he would not die until the Messiah made appearance. Now listen, Simeon lived with this in mind. He lived knowing that he would not die till he saw the coming of the Messiah. He would see with his own eyes the Messiah before he would pass from this earth. Now listen, again, I know you have to be careful hermeneutically about spiritualizing things, but I want to ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe in the return, the rapture of the church, and it, it could happen any day now, do you live as Simeon did, looking for that glorious appearing in your lifetime? See, it, it affected the way he lived. He was obedient and followed the Holy Spirit, and he looked for the return, for, for the coming of the Savior, the Messiah. And folks, I'm here to tell you today that we too need to be looking for the coming of the, the return of the Messiah when he appears in the clouds to call us as a church out of this world. But I hope that we have the testimony of Simeon, because look at what he does. In verse 27, and he came in the spirit of the temple. Again, being obedient, he followed the leadership of the spirit. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, those sacrifices that need to be made, now they're standing in the court of women. I want you to picture this. They're standing in the court of women and Simeon shows up at the temple under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and he sees, look verse 28, he sees and he takes up Jesus in his arms and he blesses God. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Boy, I want to dive into this just briefly. So we see Simeon, he obeys the Holy Spirit. He's looking for the Savior. And guess what? He has peace when he sees them. Folks, I'm a, I want to ask you, if Jesus were to return today, would you be at peace with him? If right now, as we sat in this room, the trumpet sounded and the clouds split and Jesus stepped out of eternity and revealed himself to this world and called his believers, his church, out of this world to be home with him, are you at peace with him and ready to stand before him? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if that day comes, if it happened today, you would not be ready and you are not at peace with him. I'm here to tell you that we too can live like Simeon 
in obedience to the Holy Spirit, looking for the Savior, that, that when he appears, our lives are ready to accept and embrace in peace who he is and the appearing that he has. So we look here in verse 28, and he took him up in his arms, and he blessed, and he said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to your word. Listen, one of the things that came to my mind as I read this was, God never disappoints. Come on now. God never disappoints. I was, I was reading Facebook. How many of y'all got Facebook? You, are y'all Facebookers? Okay. So I was looking at Facebook yesterday, and a friend of mine posted on their Facebook page that their child had opened all these Christmas gifts. And then they turned the TV on to watch a Christmas movie. And every commercial that came on of toys, the child said, I want that. Ask you something. Are we content with Jesus in our life? Are we content? See, he never disappoints. See, this is what happens. And, and you guys know when I speak, when I preach, sometimes I probably reveal more than I should about who I am. But I want you to know that I face the same things you face. You know, sometimes I get caught up and I, I, become, I become disappointed in people or I become disappointed in the church or I become disappointed in someone that I know and love. And sometimes I redirect that disappointment to God. God, why did you allow this? Or why are you allowing them? Or why are you? And I begin to, don't look at me like I'm crazy, please don't. Uh, Sandy and I were just talking this morning before I left the house. And, and it's, it's so heartbreaking when in our humanity, we lose sight of how good God is. And we, we become, we, we, we attach our disappointment with things of this world. We, we, we run the risk of attaching those disappointments to God. That somehow he is allowing or he is, he is ordaining this disappointment to happen to us. And by the way, he, he's not ordaining it. The reality is Adam and Eve fell in the garden and sin affected everything. And sin has consequences. And those consequences roll over to every human that breathes because we have sin natures. And because we have sin natures, sin has consequences. And those consequences happen to innocent people. Those consequences happen to guilty people. Those consequences fall across the board. We have, we have loved ones, people we love dearly, that are, that are ill. We have loved ones 